Today's episode of Market Talk is brought to you by Growmark FS. Keeping up on the latest in ag is a challenge, to say the least. But there are experts nearby ready to help. You'll find them at your local FS. You can trust them to bring you customized agronomic, grain, and energy solutions born of the latest thinking. That's because FS specialists receive continuous training that keeps them current on the latest trends, practices, and technologies. So you'll get local expertise that's both exceptional and up-to-date. Visit FSSystem.com to learn how FS is bringing you what's next. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Thursday's trade action was mostly lower across grains and livestock. Welcome to Market Talk. Thanks so much for joining us here today. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Great to have you with us once again as we talk about the markets and issues impacting rural America. We have a lot to get to here on the program today. Of course, we're going to be talking about the markets as we have plenty to look at here. Mostly lower day across grains and livestock especially livestock, plenty of deterioration seen there. Stock market down a little bit on Thursday. Crude oil up about 1%. We're going to talk markets in depth with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing, coming up in segment three and four here today. We'll be joined by Brian to talk all things what's going on in the commodity trade. Also coming up here in a minute, we're going to get some comments and analysis from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX. Coming up in segment two here today as well, we're going to talk about what's going on in the carbon market space, the carbon uh, credits and everything surrounding what's going on with carbon markets. John Pullis with Agoral Carbon Alliance is going to join us to get us caught up with what's happening and uh, talk about some of the things that Agoral is doing as we uh, get into 2023. So stick around. That is coming up here in a little bit as well. Now, again, a mostly lower trading day, grains, livestock under some pressure here as we work through the session on the day on Thursday, Uh, kind of some continued uh, deterioration. We saw a bit of a down day Wednesday, and we saw that again on Thursday. Everything from grains to soybeans, livestock futures trading lower uh, into the close. Outside market pressure easing a bit, but rain forecasts improving for drought-stricken parts of Argentina. However, it'll take a lot to turn those crops around with the Buenos Aires Exchange reporting that quarter beans are now rated just 5% and 3% good to excellent respectively. But still, uh, a lot to digest here. We asked Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, about that in our midday commentary. And we start the conversation talking about those South American weather forecasts and just what he's seeing in the grain trade on Thursday. Again, we talked to Arlen around midday Thursday during the session. Here is Arlen Suderman of StoneX. I think it's just consolidation trade, uh, sideways choppy trade in these markets, trying to kind of get their own definition of where they're going to go now, maybe marking time ahead of February. In February, we start to get a lot of indications of what things are going to be in in uh, in South America. We have a much ha- better handle on the harvest of soybeans in South America. We start to get a feel for what safrina corn planting will be. We have a lot better handle on the Argentine crop in um, for both corn and soybeans in February. And we start looking ahead to what we need to do to get the acre necessary 
for the corn and soybean crops in the United States in the coming growing season. So we're kind of marking time. We had the friendly USDA crop report last week on Thursday, but then the conviction kind of ran out. Their conviction to sustain that move wasn't quite there. Soybeans are still in an uptrend overall. We haven't broke that yet. Uh, despite the big crop in Brazil where harvest is, is progressing, maybe at a little slower pace than what we thought, and I anticipate that harvest selling is going to be picking up there here in the weeks to come. Arlen, plenty of pressure in the livestock trade as well on Thursday. What are your thoughts with what's going on there? Well, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, we've got some headwinds from the outside markets. When the stock market's taking big losses, we tend to see weakness in the protein sector as well. If you look at the past three days' losses, they've been pretty significant, yesterday being the biggest, but we're adding to those losses today as well. Concerns about the consumer pulling back purchasing of the higher cuts of meat. Then when you look at the supply and demand fundamentals near term, we're seeing that softness in the product market, seeing that weakness and and a little bit of weakness in the cash market, especially on the hog side where we're seeing more weakness and there's just not a lot for the funds to grab a hold of and buy. We already have big fund positions in the cattle market. That's making them reluctant to add to those positions at this point. And just a lack of buyers is when you put all that together. Arlen, there's been plenty of economic data out here in the last week or so. More earnings reports out here the last couple of days. As you look at the overall picture of this commodity space, what stands out to you? Well, as I look at overall picture of the data, it suggests that while we're seeing some softening of inflation pressures, and that's most notably in the energy sector, and because gasoline prices have been coming down over the last uh, month or two, we are seeing consumer sentiment, while still low, start to bounce a little bit. Uh, And so... That is crucial for the economy because we're really a consumer-driven economy. But is inflation going to continue down? Well, wage inflation continues to be in place. While we have some sectors of the economy that are in a recession, housing sector is one example of that. Some sectors of the manufacturing sector are another example of that. We have other sectors that are absorbing those employees, and the jobs market remains tight, wages remain high, and so the the service sector, which is a major part of our economy, is uh, still seeing inflation rise. And so I think the Fed is still concerned that uh, if it eases up now, that we'll see inflation come roaring back, particularly if energy prices come back here in the months ahead. Um, So this is a market that's right now stagnant, still worried about recession. And again, that is comments with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joining us around midday on Thursday to discuss what he is seeing in the market trade. We're going to have more market discussion coming up later in the show with Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. Well, also, as we take a look at a few things uh, with uh, news headlines here in agriculture, after clearing the House twice, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act stalled in the Senate during the 117th Congress and failed to get a vote. Now that a new Congress has been seated, what does that mean for the legislation? Dan Newhouse, chair of the Western Caucus and a Republican representative from Washington State, who was a key sponsor of the bill, says his office is working on a strategy to reintroduce legislation. What's it going to look like, this Congress? Uh, how do we best move forward? The crisis is just as great as it was a month ago. Uh, and so the need for having relief as it relates to agricultural labor is is great and we have to take action 
While the Farm Workforce Modernization Act has enjoyed bipartisan support and the backing of a variety of farm groups, the American Farm Bill Federation has come out in opposition of the legislation. AFBF President Zippy Duval says the proposal does not go far enough for the farming community. Newhouse says he's very confident the two sides can work together to get farmers the help that they need. They've been at the table. I'm a Farm Bureau member myself, and I I think I bring some credibility to the table when I talk to Zippy Duval, who's become a real friend of mine over the last few years as we talk about these issues. But we're not quite there yet, and, that, and I'm glad that they've committed to continuing to work on this because American agriculture needs the help. This is you know, not only farmers is this costing, but it's costing consumers as well, and we're seeing that in the cost of food in the grocery store rise on a continuing basis. And part of the reason for that is our lack lack of agricultural labors. And once again, that is Republican Representative Dan Newhouse from Washington State, chair of the Western Caucus. All right, coming up next here on the program, we're going to talk about carbon markets with John Polis of Agoro Carbon Alliance. He is our guest on the way next as we're back with more market talk coming up right after the break. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And joining us now with Agoro Carbon Alliance, John Polis is with us. John, great to have you back on the show. Hope you're doing well. Doing well. Thanks a lot, Jesse. Thanks for having me again. Well, thank you for the time as we uh, really dive into a new year. And I know carbon markets is something that we continue to hear about in agriculture and the growth of carbon markets. Climate smart agriculture from USDA, climate smart funding that USDA has put out there, and a lot of great work that Agoro is doing here in the carbon market space and working with farmers and ranchers. So, John, just to start, let's kind of get caught up. What's the current landscape here as we begin 2023? What what are some of the key highlights that we're looking at as far as some of the latest news per se in the uh, carbon market space? Yeah, just kind of like 2022, but but on supercharge, 2023 has been kind of an evolving and growing carbon market space. Um, there's more companies, more offerings, more more differences out in, in the landscape. And so again, you know, growers are are that were maybe not interested in 2022 are starting to take a new look at at some programs in 2023 and seeing what maybe fits their operation or their, their level of interest. And so again, yeah, we're 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 continuing to have conversations with growers and ranchers and farmers throughout the country, and and seeing you know what they're what they're looking for and and what their interest is. And it just feels like John that the outlook is just very bright when it comes to carbon markets. It's a as you said, kind of supercharged, fast growing space. We're seeing more funding now from USDA, their Climate Smart Commodities Program. A lot of grants coming through that here in the last few months. So it just feels like, like you said, everything's just kind of supercharged and really starting to ramp up on many different levels right now. Yeah, I know with Agoro Carbon ourselves, you know, in just the last 18 months, you know, that we've been in existence, really, it's gone from, you know, learning what growers are looking for, you know, honing in on our offerings and and seeing what what works best for the market, um, you know, in just eighteen months, we've already made twelve million dollars, over twelve million dollars in payments to growers, and, and and so this is again, you know, just just putting our money where our mouth is, and and showing you know the growers the money to be able to say, hey, this is legit, this is a a market that's going to be around for a while, and and I think we saw from twenty twenty one to twenty twenty two the growth 
And I know I was looking at, you know, a chart yesterday just showing the exponential growth in just that one year. And, and you know, again, we sometimes get the question of, you know, how is this different from maybe some other carbon markets that were around in the past? And, you know, coming from, you know, some of my, my family is in finance. And so they always say, well, follow the money. Right. And that's what we're really seeing is a lot of these companies putting their money out there to show that this is this is real and this is an interest and something important to them. So. Um, we'll continue to see that growth um, of both, you know, the purchase of carbon credits, but also their generation to try to meet those needs as those climate pledges, you know, for 2030 and 2050, you know, come closer and closer to us. The, the demand will still be there and, and will only grow. Well, we know it's a new revenue stream, of course, but also a big part of this. The big the biggest part, I think, is, you know, trying to reverse the effects of climate change, carbon sequestration, looking at soil health, et cetera. Uh, from an agronomic standpoint, thinking about just some of the benefits here, what are some things that maybe Agoro has learned here in the last couple of years that you're starting to utilize more in 2023 as you educate farmers and ranchers about carbon sequestration? Well, one of the real benefits of agrocarbon has been our you know, internal group of scientists and agronomists looking at different practices, looking at different methods and saying, you know, what does the literature show? What are, what are the methodologies and the, the, the registries out there accepting? Or, you know, what have they shown that, that actually sequesters carbon or, you know, reduces emissions? And so we're constantly honing that, that offering that we're presenting to growers. And maybe there was nothing for you yesterday, but tomorrow there might be something for you. And so, again, that's where we really see our exponential or our rapid growth in 2023 looking like, you know, we're going to be able to maybe attract new growers or new farmers and ranchers that that maybe weren't interested on the, the offerings we had initially. But as we, you know, grow that opportunity with them and, and provide that that revenue stream, like you mentioned, um, it be, starts to become more and more attractive and, and stuff that gets growers, you know, talking at the coffee shop and, and, and looking at, at this in a new way. And so, again, that, that'll be, you know, constantly looking and working internally, externally with our partners and saying, you know, wh what do we know for, for sure is, you know, a good practice or method to sequester carbon? And then, again, how do we present that or how do we work with growers to, you know, is that, is that applicable in the field, right? Because mm -hmm. nobody likes research that you can't apply in the field and, and nobody hates that more than growers, right? Because it needs to be something that, that makes sense to them. And so, again, we're, we're doing a lot of that work behind the scenes, and, and so that's really a valuable aspect of our company. A hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, and a stat that I know Agoro put out that I'm looking at as well that just is, is very – it stands out to me. 3.5 million tons of carbon with the acres currently enrolled. You have that potential to sequester 3.5 million tons of carbon in the soil over the next 10 years. That's a huge number, John. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point. I mean, there, there's many ways to, to, to look at a carbon market or to, you know, to work with growers. And, and I think if we have that singular focus or that, you know, the, the aspect of Agoro Carbon Alliance being a carbon company, right? We don't have products to sell you. We don't have services to sell you. We are a carbon company that works with our, our farmers and ranchers and partners to find the best ways to maximize that carbon, you know, sequestration or emission reduction. And so, again, you know, having that laser focus on that, I think, is very helpful um, when, when we're approaching growers and, and we're not trying to maybe sell them a specific product to, to meet our program or to meet our, you know, our offering. And so I think that's really a valuable part of what Agoro Carbon can offer 
is that focus and that, you know, commitment to, you know, making an impact on our growers' bottom line, but also the environment. Very true. John, I know if uh, growers want to learn more about the, all the things that Agoro Carbon Alliance is offering here as we get into a new year, I I would think agorocarbonalliance.com, a great place to start is uh, they just want to learn more and, and kind of start that initial conversation. That's probably a great place to start is online, isn't it? Yeah, we have a number of spots on, on our website that are going to be super helpful for growers that maybe on a Friday night at 10 o'clock or you know, researching on their computer, looking for more information. We have our Carbon Farming Knowledge Hub, which really walks through maybe questions that we've received and, and we provide answers or maybe videos or, or, you know, articles that talk a little bit about some of these practices that we're, you know, that we're offering to growers. And it, it really provides kind of that background of, you know, what do we need to think about? What does the grower need to think about as far as, you know, what are the sticking points or what are the particulars that maybe, you know, thinking about, you know, does this apply to me? Is this something that would work in my operation? And so, again, I think that's that's a good place. Um, part of that, too, as we continue to evolve and, and you know, grow our website as well, um, you, you mentioned the USDA Climate Smart Commodities Grants. Um, so we were lucky enough to be included on three of them and, and to be the lead on one of them. And, again, that that's going to further our offering um, because one of them is going to be around orchards and cover crops and regenerative ag practices and in orchards throughout the country. And so again, that will be an offering that maybe some of those growers and, and ranchers and, and others that were not part of some of our other offerings, it, it opens this up as another opportunity. Um, enhanced rock weathering, that's another one. A very exciting and novel technology out there for carbon capture. And that's another offering that's gonna be you know part of our USDA grant. Um, as well as uh, looking at, you know, working with some of our tribal partners or tribal farmers um, at growing cover crop seed in wheat fallow systems. So that, that'll be another additional, you know, aspect or another additional touch uh, of the totality of uh, regenerative ag practices that are, that are potentially out there. And again, we're, we're doing a lot of that background work and working with our partners and, and farmers and ranchers to see you know, what makes sense for them? All these are somewhat of a pilot project or somewhat of a an introduction to some of these things. We, we might know the practices themselves work, but it might be in the orchard instance, it might be as, as little as understanding what kind of co-benefits might orchards see from, from cover cropping or other practices, or, you know, what, what kind of marketing assistance might they need in, in order to differentiate themselves and open themselves up to new markets. So a lot of these, like I said, a lot of these practices and and other these offerings, um, like I said, those, those will be starting to come out in our website, and and growers can obviously learn more about that. Mm -hmm. Like you said, agorocarbon.com, and there's contacts in there if, if you want to contact somebody to learn more about that. But like I said, the Carbon Farming Knowledge Hub itself is you know a trove of information, and, and then various aspects of understanding you know what we are offering to growers. Very true. Very true. Again, you can learn more at GirlCarbonAlliance.com. With that, John Pullis with the Girl Carbon Alliance. Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. We will talk to you again real soon. Thanks, Jesse. Have a good day. All right. Coming up next here, we're going to continue on Market Talk. We're going to get back into our market discussion. A fairly mixed lower day seen in grains and livestock on Thursday. Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. He joins us next. Back with more Market Talk right after this.
Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information. Bringing you the ag information you need. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, as we take a look at Thursday's market trade action, lower tones across grains and livestock. Here to discuss it with us, we welcome in our good friend, Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing, joining us today. Brian, good to have you on the show, sir. I hope your week is going well. Better in these markets on Thursday, mostly lower across the board, it looked like it closed. Yeah, pretty tough session again uh, when you look especially at, uh, you know, I, I'm going to start maybe with the livestock, just kind of a real yeah. test of the the bulls today with cattle down quite hard and you, know, you got a winter storm moving through. You think, well, maybe that's going to get some, some of these bullish traders buying these dips fired up. It didn't really seem to do that today. Um, and not that this is a drastic, you know, snow event, but it's snow and it's rain, it's mixed temperatures, give or take, you know, that freezing mark for a lot of us mm-hmm. and probably just not ideal for cattle, but no down day, nonetheless, a little bit concerned, really it's just on the demand side. You look at some of the economic numbers, not real great. Look at the Dow Jones as an index or the S and P or any of these, they've been under pressure lately down again today, 33,200 on the Dow. And, uh, Three or four days ago, we were 34,500. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, kind of another squeeze play on the uh, economics, but more so maybe a little concerning for the livestock and grains in general, just kind of the weak, confirmed weak data out of China. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, you know, other things you're hearing hog prices in China down 50%, apparently, where they were, and, you know, encouraging their producers to cut back. I, you know, just seemed like yesterday was they're they're building the herds to no end because they were so tight mm-hmm. and want food security so a lot of mixed rhetoric out of that part of the world but looks like more of a risk off day right across the board whether it's equities or commodities yeah. um and and that includes uh uh with the exception but it the, the the energy markets were really all over the place this morning now they're back higher but yeah yeah, well, and I, I made this comment on yesterday's show, uh, you know, looking at how it felt like it's felt like this hog market with all the volatility there is kind of at a like a boat anchor on this cattle market a little bit. Now, today, more of that risk off sentiment, but you mentioned quite a few of those things, the economic data out of China, the just the demand concerns, et cetera. Plus, two, I know a cattle on feed report coming up tomorrow, so I'm sure that's weighing in. There's just it feels like there's a lot of dynamics, a lot of news items weighing into this protein sector. But I'd like your thoughts. On, do you feel like maybe this hog market's been a bit of a boat anchor on this cattle market, considering everyone just still seems to be really bullish, this cattle market? Uh, well, you can't help but come to that conclusion. If I take a look at it uh, just as an example, I can pick any contract, but let's just pick the May hogs uh, around 93. Um, they were just under 102 at the end of December. That's, you know, big 10% down here in January so far. Mm-hmm. 10% down on hogs is going to be an anchor on something uh, that just not 
hogs themselves. So, you know, are these forces that can kind of help to clear extra supplies or whatever you might call it, get the consumer more fired up perhaps. But I would just argue that it's not just hogs. You look at the milk market down a lot and continuing to look soft, challenging now the $18 mark as a potential bottom, maybe push under that. We were under 18 to 17.94 on the March contract earlier today. And that's a new contract low. And you look back to where we were in the fall, we were at $21. And it's one of those markets where you talk to producers in fall and 21 wasn't good enough. You know, and then they didn't want to sell and fear it would go to 22, 23. Here we are sub 18 or right right at sub 18 and no sign that the market's done going down maybe oversold but no sign it's done going down so so we've got those issues but the dairy industry uh, we did see some herd build up a little bit but mm-hmm. more efficiency we talked about that before milk more milk per cow a few more cows um, but it you know the backdrop of us let's call it a squeamish world demand market is behind all of this and the money is just not comfortable buying, even though it's cheaper, it's not buying when it looks like consumers are kind of pulling their wings in right now. Well, and thinking about the economic data we've seen, and you mentioned consumers kind of pulling in their wings, you know, we've gotten the consumer price index and the producer price index, both on the surface signaling maybe a cooling of inflation, but you know, one has to wonder if you really dive into those numbers, Brian, and look at the economic sentiment, the news out of China, you know, how much, if at all, is inflation truly cooling on us right now? Right. So there, there's a lot of dynamics. And and my level of education ended at a four-year degree in agriculture economics. So I don't mm-hmm. have one of these uh, high-level master's degrees where you do all these econometric models. And then I was at a conference this weekend. And the economist there who seems, he's from the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, Eric Norland, extremely bright, very worried about world economic conditions, but he also kind of started out saying, uh, economists are notoriously wrong. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so you work with a set of variables and whatnot. So um, anyway, the point of it was, is that things do change. And we're just in an environment right now where, when I read a headline that says the tech sector or somebody in the tech sector is laying off 10,000 people, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of stuff. So, you know, you counter that and go, well, geez, why are things inflationary if companies are laying off? So let's see what kind of unfolds here. I think we're into some, some somewhat uncharted t- uh, economic territory where we're kind of seeing I grew up in the 70s. We're seeing stagflation at that time where you saw inflation and poor job layout. You know, it, it's odd. So we're seeing a lot of things that may not be quite business as usual. And we were so used to for a long period of time sloping downward interest rates mm-hmm. and then steady inflation. Now we got higher interest rates, increased inflation. Uh, I, I think the backdrop of all of it was uh, without getting too weep, too deep in the weeds. And I'm, I'm a reader and a listener, but if I could regurgitate too much money supply into the system to try and keep things really moving through the whole COVID window and then probably stuck around with too much money and you know pumping money into a system when COVID was on the retreat and you end up with a lot of excess money chasing goods. 
-hmm. and maybe changing goods and services. And you get this environment here where all of a sudden you blow things up and now companies are finding it difficult to make profits when you're paying more for labor and more for all your inputs. Very true. Very true. I know this conversation parlays itself into the grains as well, Brian. And I know there's other factors as well to look at the grain trade. You, you know, looking at how things wrapped up Thursday, beans and wheat, downside leaders, it looked like corn down a little bit. Um, walk me through, you know, since the last time we talked, we talked before the USDA numbers came out last week. So we did. now that we've yep. got those numbers out in front of us, you look at things, you look at how this market's reacted the last couple of days now. Do you think the the euphoria from those USDA surprises is is past us? Do you think we've digested that in these grain markets? Um, when you have bullish numbers, you get some sort of reaction, then you digest it, just as you get bearish numbers. And then life kind of gets back to, to normal, but you have a new set of numbers to work with. So mm -hmm. we've got some tighter supplies from, I think, expected. That, the big one was in corn, I think. Um, <laughs> this conference I was at over the weekend, uh, one of the economists there said it was unfathomable. I've never seen anything. It's unfathomable, unfathomable that they would lower uh, acreage in January. Never heard of seeing anything like that, but they did. It makes a little more sense that corn acres were cut in the sense that why are, why is basis so strong in the Western Corn Belt? Mm -hmm. So uh, going into the report, I think you and I might have talked about this. I, I had indicated I just don't know where the surprise is. And we went through kind of the line items, probably not feed, probably not in ethanol, probably not in export. So they might cut the export number, which they did, a big number, not, a, not an incremental change, a big number. And then they cut likewise on the harvested acres. So in the end, you didn't have much of a change in carryout. So the new number is no change, which is considered positive or was by the market because I think everybody's bracing for some type of increase, 100 million, 200 million bushels of carryout in corn and same thing in beans. You just didn't get those increases there. On the other hand, the market then focuses attention elsewhere. What's going on in the Southern Hemisphere? So favorable numbers. When you look at the Southern Hemisphere, sort of this big machine in Brazil marching forward with crop potential and crop prospects and countering some of the potential in losses in Argentina. And so far, kind of a net on that at least that's the way the market is, and it's really at a standstill. So here we are again, down two days in a row after four consecutive higher days in corn. March corn at 677. This is getting a little boring. We've been at 677 every month since August. So we're just trading either side of a range, waiting to see what happens in South America, what happens to inputs, what happens to the U.S. farmer, what happens to the energy market, what happens elsewhere around the world. Most of those elsewhere around the world variables have probably been slanted a little bit negative for price. And again, that is Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor at Total Farm Marketing. We'll continue our conversation with Brian coming up here after the break. A few of the closest from Thursday's trade. March corn down 4, 677 at a quarter. New crop December corn was 4, 3 quarters lower, 596 at a quarter. March soybeans 9 and 3 quarters lower, 15, 14 and 3 quarters. November beans down 9 to 3 quarters, 1364 and a half. Bean meal March down 690 a ton, 471.20. March bean oil down 97.6315. March Chicago wheat 8 lower, 734 and a half. July down 8, 745 and a half. March Kansas City wheat 9 and a half lower at 832. July was down 9, 823. Spring wheat March 3 higher, 904. July spring wheat down 1, 892 and a quarter. Live cattle February down 85, 155.95. April down 110, 159.12. Feeder cattle January down 140, 178.10. March down 162, 180.10. 
February Hogs down 67, 76, 65. April Hogs down 180 at 84.40. We'll be back with more market talk on the way right after this. Market information that matters to you on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back here to Market Talk as we continue our market discussion looking at Thursday's mostly lower trade action across commodities. Brian Doherty, Senior Market Advisor and Total Farm Marketing. He is our guest analyst here, still joining us on the show today. And Brian, we look at the the tight numbers from the USDA reports and the market reaction that we're discussing. Old crop versus new crop. Are you worrying more about one or the other with downside risk potential at this point as you look at these charts and look at the market as a whole? In the long run, I'm more worried about new crop. In the short term, old crop is holding up enough that I'm worried about that. So if you're a farmer that has a lot of inventory of bean and corns, you've kind of got your second life and your second chance to sell uh, you know, into levels that were resistance points before. Now, 685. Yeah, it's where we hit this week on corn, or a little bit above that. Back in in October, we were seven dollars. This is based off the March contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot better than the six thirty-five. However, I was going to say we really need to see the export market pick up. Well, I I don't know what's holding prices up if we don't see. You still got to use the stuff and sell it, and and you can keep cutting. Now that the potential bull scenario that might be developing is that. If Argentina struggles with production, and let's say Brazil does on their second crop corn, let's just say they, um, the USDA has made some pretty big cuts to demand on the export front, so they might have to backpedal and start pushing those numbers back in. Or what? What would happen is you'd really start to see end user buying aggressively pick up, mm-hmm. and we're seeing some here from Egypt, Algeria. I think Algeria was one of the others. Uh, we're seeing some countries kind of step in front of this and buy after the USDA report. But those still are not game changers. The game changers would be South American weather. Right now, it's not adverse enough or perceived adverse enough to sustain a rally at current price levels. These are high prices. When it comes to new crop, if I know the cost of my inputs here at this point, you know, mid-January, it's it's just I know we talked about this ad nauseum as well, but it really makes sense now considering there could be some downside potential here with new crop prices to maybe get some floors locked in if you know the cost of your inputs, et cetera. I know it's a case-by-case basis, Brian, but just with that downside risk out there, folks got to start managing it, it feels like to me. Absolutely makes sense now. And, you know, if I talked to you last year or the year before, it might not make any sense. It just depends where the market is relative to what you think it costs to produce and then relative to what the market may go down to if we have uh, increases in production. And right now there, there's, you know, we're talking the market hovering around $6 on December corn. It's not 677 like March corn. So it is discounted already, but how long do you wait to see if you can't pick up some ground or wait to see if March falls down or the next front month falls down? Um, the wheat markets looked rough the last two months, three months. That's your leader right there worldwide. Who buys wheat? The whole world buys wheat. They're not buying wheat. They're probably not aggressively buying corn. So make make note of that. Um, make note of the idea that it is now January 19th. It's not 
December 19th. We got another 30 days under our belt. We got to look at the Southern Hemisphere. We get a little bit more feel for it. And we've got a little bit more idea of what the money flow looks like compared to where it did 30 days ago. So we're getting more information. But the bottom line is, I, this is, you know, you'd have to have, you know, Clydesdale horses hook, hook me to a chain and drag me across the fairgrounds like the wagon fell apart or something to tell me that we shouldn't be, vet, you know, protecting value on a third of this crop or 25, whatever number you're comfortable with. And let that either be your anchor to pull up you know, prices you, you're selling at later because the market went down or let that be a bit of a, uh, or uh, uh, I'm sorry, that, that'd be your pulley. It's going to pull your mm -hmm. prices up or let it be an anchor against some higher prices, but you can live with that. You're going to be in a farming operation that make is making money, assuming normal uh, yield at higher prices. But, but what happens is that for a lot of guys, it's just tough to get started. So I'd like to say, well, get tough and get started. And if it goes higher, you can, you know, the idea is to average up and sell more. And I hear the arguments already, people going, well, you know, what if I have a smaller crop? What if I have this? Well, let's assume you're going to have a normal crop. Worry about the smaller later or that. What's, that's what's insurance for. Mm -hmm. But what happens is prices often do rally and people will be, well, that was, you know, would have been the wrong thing to do, but I'm going to sell some now. So they sell some now and then it falls apart and then they don't sell anymore. Or maybe it's a little bit more. So when you kind of put all those numbers together, usually the guy that sells early and then sells often and sells higher, gets more in place than the guy that waits to sell some higher. And then when it falls, sometimes it falls so quickly, you just can't get more done. Very good points there, Brian, uh, before we wrap it up today and before I let you go, any other final thoughts you want to share with us uh, here on the show today? No, <laughs> we covered them. I, I think that last <laughs> the last thing we covered is the most important thing right now for grain producers yeah. is to really be paying attention. So that's where at the beginning of the show, I was thinking about, you know, how do we end this up? Mm -hmm. Ended up with, you know, prices could be on a slippery slope. $14 mm -hmm. beans, uh, all of a sudden there have been fixed 1364 beans in on the futures. Um, December corn, 605 is all of a sudden 596. We don't want 596 to become 575 and then 550. And so think about ways to defend that. If you have questions on that, you can always connect with uh, your advisor or connect with us, connect with me. Happy to talk you through it. Well, and Brian, if folks want to connect with you, what's the best way to reach you? I would prefer a phone conversation. 800-334-9779 is, is the first thing. And then shoot me an email, uh, Brian with a Y, B-R-Y-N, at totalfarmmarketing.com. Uh, and if you just want to look at resources and things available, check out our website, totalfarmmarketing.com. But but give me a personal touch either through phone call or email, and and then I'll make sure that we get in touch with you. Fantastic stuff as always. Appreciate the insight with that. Brian Doherty at Total Farm Marketing. Have a great one, sir. We'll talk to you again next week. Yes, sir, Jesse. Thank you and you as well. And again, always great to have him on with us. Brian Doherty of Total Farm Marketing. You can learn more again and reach out. Totalfarmmarketing.com is a great way to start. Again, that's totalfarmmarketing.com. We are out of time here on the program today. Again, thank you so much for joining us as we take a look at the markets and issues impacting rural America each and every weekday here on Market Talk. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Why are more people heating their homes with FS Propane? Because it's better to work with a company that lives and works in the same community that you do. 
When it comes to the comfort of your family, trust FS. We have highly trained service professionals who monitor your system for proper operation, safety, and maximum efficiency, so you can be sure that FS Propane will leave your family with a good, warm feeling all season long. Contact your local FS Propane specialist today. FS Propane feels like home. Visit fspropane.com for more information.